Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Songwriters on Process podcast. My name is Benno Papari, and since 2010, I've run the Songwriters on Process website, where you can find more than 200 conversations with songwriters about the creative process. I'm not here to talk about tour stories, band drama, how a band got its name, or favorite foods. My goal is to treat songwriters as writers, plain and simple. This is an intelligent conversation about the writing process between two writers. And today's episode is a good one, people. It's with Amy Ray of the Indigo Girls and H.C. McIntyre. So there's a lot of history here. First of all, uh, McIntyre and Ray know each other. They've known each other for a long time. Uh, They've uh, performed. They've been on stage with each other. I believe been on each other's albums as well. And are also touring together in May. Uh, McIntyre will be opening up for the Amy Ray Band uh, at least in May and maybe more than that. I know May for sure. I don't want to talk out of place, but I know for a good chunk of the May dates, McIntyre is opening up for Ray. So they have that history. They've known each other for a while, worked together. Uh, my history with McIntyre is that I have uh, interviewed her once before and I'd loved the interview. It was maybe six years ago when she. Um, put out in uh, her album with Mount Moriah. So uh, this is my second time talking to McIntyre, first time talking to Ray. And I've done these interviews before with two people. Um, it just for example, check those out on the site, uh, Patterson Hood and Lily Hyatt together. Gosh, I mean, there's many. Butch Walker and Matt, Nathan, and Matt Nathanson, uh, Julian Baker and Matt Nathanson, uh, and I should say also that Matt Nathanson is a huge, huge, huge Amy Ray fan. So maybe I'll dedicate this episode to him. I've interviewed him three times, but that's beside the point. Anyway, listen, Amy Ray, legend, uh, and uh, Heather uh, McIntyre, fantastic songwriter as well. So it was just so fascinating listening to them talk about their process. I mean, um, a couple of great quotes. First of all, I think it was that uh, Amy Ray said she gets a lot of, she writes a lot of songs when she's walking her dog. We talked about places they like to write. And uh, Amy Ray said she gets a lot of, a lot of ideas. She's written entire songs on dog walks to which McIntyre replied. She writes a lot of songs when she's mowing the lawn. I think she says she has her notepad that she has tucked in her overalls, I think, and then pulls it out and writes things down. Um, there is a lot of particulars to the process here. Uh, I think Amy uh, Ray said that, uh, uh, or why do I call her Amy Ray? Just Ray uh, said that she writes, I think five, tries to write five days a week for no more than two hours a day. Uh, so there's a lot of particulars here. I mean, listen, both of them are just such fantastic songwriters and they know each other well, which made this conversation so easy. We talked a lot about um, the books they like to read and, Ray at the end, as you'll hear, don't fast forward to the end of the episode because you need to listen to every word of this. It's such a great interview. But um, Ray has what I think is probably the best mic drop end of a podcast line I've heard so far. And uh, so anyway, I listen, this was I just sat here listening in silence as much as I could um to them talk about the writing because i'm such a huge fan of both of them so this was a special one and again because they know each other it made it all the more uh, fun to listen to them talk so with that my here it is oh one more thing upcoming episodes i have uh 
Got a wide variety. Uh, Eric Johnson from Fruit Bats, Dave Lombardo from Slayer, and uh, the band Mama. Uh, those are all confirmed interviews I have coming up, so check those out in the weeks ahead. And with that, my interview with Amy Ray of the Indigo Girls and the Amy Ray Band, of course, and H.C. McIntyre. Let's get started. Thank you very much for both taking the time to talk to me. Um, I always like to start by asking, as Heather, we'll start with you. Are you a right every kind of every 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 day type of person or strictly when the mood strikes? I do find that songwriters kind of fall in those two camps. They're those that say no matter how bad it is, I've got to create. And those that they say, no, I'm going to sit back and kind of wait for the things to come. So where do you how, where do you fall in that camp of how often you create? I would say I don't write every day. That for sure. I I guess I've I've been doing this enough to know myself. Where like if I'm if it's if I don't know if it's like it's an energy and it's coming, then like. I'm there and I'm, I'm accessible and, you know, I, and I devote like my whole being to that. But a lot of times I want to do something else, like go like woodwork or like, um, I don't go for a hike and, and, or go to an art museum and get inspired, you know? So I think for me, it's, there's a discipline involved, but it's not like regimented in a date, like a daily practice necessarily in terms of writing. And does that give you as a follow-up? Does that give you, if things are coming, is there a sense of anxiety if it hasn't happened? Is like, oh boy, I should be doing something even though it's not immediately coming to me. I think I'm always, I'm always doing something, whether it's like, I don't know, making the mu- a music video or, or, designing a t-shirt like right now i'm just very hands-on um but yeah if it's i guess i kind of know i know where i don't know i i see the patterns in myself and i had i struggle with ADD, and so it's it's better for me not to just beat myself up you know if i if it's not there and and i'd rather like I don't know, be inspired by <clears throat> some other type of medium, you know, and yeah. just get out of my own way. Yeah, yeah, own. yeah. Uh, Amy, how about you? Where do you fall in that? I, I I did fall in the right every day category um, for some reason until, you know, about nine months ago. <laughs> and then I, then I got so busy trying to just, uh, get my record out and all the work that I had to do around that. And it was so, there was so much uh, around learning songs and practicing and I was spending all my time, you know, playing music and just practicing really getting ready for touring and stuff. But typically, I mean, I'm trying to get back to my right everyday thing. It's like five days a week, more of a thing. Um, because when I was in a when I was in the mode of sort of waiting for things to kind of fall into place for me to do it, I just I don't I don't I wouldn't feel it come out of the blue or something, you know. Um, for me, I have to be I have to write and exercise the muscle of just writing whatever down mm-hmm. and singing whatever, or just being in a space where at least I'm 
trying to write, you know, like in my writing journal or um, just taping myself playing guitar, trying to come up with riffs or playing scales or whatever, like kind of like a practice moment, you know? Um, So ideally that's where I'm heading, you know, this actually this week I'm starting that back up because I just, it was too long of a break for me. I typically don't ever take a break from that because I, I enjoy it. It's not like, I don't see, I don't have mostly have a goal usually when I'm doing it. I usually am just, this is how I learned, you know, about 20 years ago or maybe even 23 years ago around 2000, I kind of learned a different process. And before that I was just like writing sort of not as regularly and wasn't able to be as prolific or get better at it. Cause for me, I needed to just, I needed to look at it as like an everyday kind of thing to get better because I was kind of just, uh, I don't know, lazy or, or, or maybe if I was waiting for the muse to hit me, I was too precious on that moment and wasn't, I found that because I was so grateful for that one time the muse hit me that I wasn't willing to like tear it apart <laughs> and, hmm. you know, disassemble it to put it back together again. But, but in my personality, the way I'm wired, kind of, if I'm working on it every day, it becomes less something I'm less precious on, something that I'm more like looking at as a as a challenge and a curiosity, you know, and not like, oh, I have to be reverent about this because the muse hit me. Because um, mm-hmm. I found that like the songs that I really worked on were better songs for me. You know, I mean, everybody's different. I mean, I know Emily, you know, she'll a whole song will come to her in one sitting sometimes that's like a majorly great perfectly formed song mm-hmm. and i'm just not that person so mm-hmm. i realized that a while ago and then knew i had to just work at it you know so when you say five days a week when you said that uh, is there a discipline to that i mean five days like is there a time of day is there a, is there any amount of time number of pages because when you said Five's pretty specific, right? Yeah, yeah, it it is. Well, I have a child, so I have to. My time management has to be so different. Um, <laughs> I, it's you know the way I look at it is, I don't do more than two hours, you know. So it's like thirty minutes to two hours. That's basically because I, I, you know, that book on. I don't know if you read Stephen King's book on writing. Yeah, but that's such a. That was like my that one, Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, and that book were my two. They changed my life. Can I just say really quickly, shitty first drafts, one of the greatest essays on writing ever. Yeah. I, I am I'm kind of in awe because no one's ever mentioned her before, I think, in any of these interviews. But when I was a professor, I told my students I would sign shitty first drafts because that idea of exactly what we're talking about, the second you make that first draft precious, it, it things stop. Right. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yes. no, that's what that's what I learned from her and, and Stephen King sort of the idea from him being like, you don't it's if you're spending three hours writing, you you might be spending too long. Like it's yeah. um, which I was like, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> like to me, it just I, I pictured like this had to be this labor for hours, you know, at your desk. And I think it's more for me, like it just needs to be regular, you know, mm-hmm. and everybody's wired differently, though. I mean, yeah. I. I, you know, every writer is different. So it's, there's not one way, but there is an overarching thing to me around learning how to, um, 
how, how to just make writing something in your life that is like norm that has a normalcy to it, mm-hmm. you know, so that you're used to working on it. And it's not this like thing that you keep putting off because it's looms so large. And that's yeah. what I used to do. Um, but I also used to drink too much. So <laughs> those things went hand in hand for me. <laughs> well, before Heather, before I get to you, I, I think this reminds me of what a lot of songwriters tell me to make it less precious they will deliberately write on backs of like utility bills or envelopes, oh. things that don't make it right. If you have that nice, precious, wonderful notebook and that pen, that makes it more precious. But if you get the back of a you know a flyer or something like that and write on it, that immediately makes it less precious and lessens the pressure. <laughs> That's funny. I'd never thought about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. Heather, so yeah, the preciousness of it, I'm curious, does that, what are your thoughts on that? Because I thought that was interesting. Well, I'm someone who, like, I edit a lot. And I guess that that kind of is rooted in, like, my creative process is probably rooted a lot in creative writing, uh, getting my undergraduate so that like the the idea of like workshopping and um constantly editing and uh just you know in terms of in terms of like a daily sort of thing i guess i a big part of mine my uh my process involves like if i if it, like i'm researching something i just go all in And I guess what I'm saying is my time management is not so great. It's not so great. And, and it kind of varies pretty wildly. Like my rhythms, like I struggle with insomnia a lot. Um, And so when that happens, I do a lot of writing at night. Um, Sometimes when I'm not struggling with insomnia, which is different than when we first talked i think when we first talked i was like yeah eight o'clock every day yeah right 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 yeah (laughs) but um yeah sometimes i'm up i'm up at five and i start you know but i guess the thing that is constant is uh this sort of i've kind of designed my schedule for better or worse to to be able to have, you know, have that time to just dive in. And um, yeah, I think. So do you create time? Is there, so you carve out, you try to carve out time each day to write. I mean, when it, when it's, when the inspiration is there, I guess. I would say not every day to write. I, I think I create every day, Yeah. you know, um, which for me, that balance and it's an important distinction for me. Um, writing is my favorite, you know, that's um, what I love. It's also, I think my rhythms are kind of influenced by the seasons and, um, and big shifts in life. Um, so now, you know, I'm, I'm still getting my bearings. I've, I moved into a new place after living in the same place for like a decade. and. Um, just went through a lot of change. And so I'm still kind of figuring out this particular house and like, um, 
you know, winter is always a good time for me to just hunker down and, and, um, yeah, give myself permission to just, you know, not, not do much else. (laughs) Right. Create something. And like the creating part can be, yeah, like woodworking. I'd, I'd do that. Or it could be like working in the garden. I think it's for me, I feel fulfilled if I'm learning something or if I'm like being inspired by something or um, like researching different topics. Um, yeah. So I think it, it's more about maybe what, mm, what I'm consuming um, and like keeping that balance. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a quote here from Agatha Christie. Amy, we'll start with you because I love quoting writers when I talk to songwriters. So, and this is exactly what we're talking about. Agatha Christie said, the best time to plan a book is when you're doing the dishes. So what I what I think she's getting at, and I agree at, at least, is that my ideas come to me when I'm not thinking about the ideas coming to me. And there was an article, actually, I've not read it in the Washington Post about why so many ideas come to us when we're in the shower. But the the number of songwriters who have told me they get ideas while they are gardening, I've heard chopping vegetables, I've heard vacuuming, I've heard cleaning, folding laundry. There's something about the monotony of an activity that requires no brain power. And that's when the ideas come to us when we're not thinking about it. So Amy, we'll start with you. Do you get ideas a lot? when you're doing something as monotonous as those ideas that were just don't require any brain power whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, I find if I start writing, if I write earlier in the day, the rest of my day that I'm spending doing chores, I'm still writing. Mm -hmm. It helps me to have planted some seeds. Mm -hmm. Um, So then when I'm doing my stuff, you know, gardening or hiking or walking the dogs or, cooking or whatever i'm the song is is being the brain is still firing and i don't think it's as much as like you're doing monotony that doesn't take brain power i think well actually what you're doing is you're occupying your brain just enough to free it up mm-hmm. from it's the zen thing you know because if you're you're the art won't it's not coming if you're if you're not in a state of just like letting it happen and not getting in the way so it's like, you know, having ADD, it's like you're, you're doing this task and it's taking the part of your brain that got in the way of you writing a little bit, I think is what's happened. I mean, to me, mm-hmm. so I, you know, that's when I'm in my best sort of ideal state, I'm writing lyrics earlier and I get up and when I'm on tour, I'll get up and do like interviews or whatever need to be done. And then I'll write and then the rest of the day, whatever I'm doing, I'm still writing and I'm writing stuff down too, or recording it into my phone as things come to me. And at home, that's, it's like, what, if I, if I can capture enough time earlier in the day after I get all the dog and animal chores done and my child and everything, then yeah, then it's like, it's great. Cause it's, yeah, I love, I love task, you know, so I love doing chores and, um, you know, so for me, it's like, that's the happy place is you're doing chores and you've already written for an hour. And so all those things that you couldn't work out while you're writing, get worked out. 
you know. But are, are you working <laughs> them out though deliberately? It sounds like you're not, right? You just kind of you know no, that I it's am. I'm, no, I'm being deliberate. But oh, you are okay. I've got something else occupying me too. I'm not getting in my way. I mean, I'm a pretty deliberate person, so <laughs> I'm not. You know, I'm not like, oh, this just happened to come to me when I'm walking the dogs. I'm like, I'm walking the dogs, and I'm thinking while I'm walking the dogs, I'm going to work on this one line of the song that I could not figure out, mm-hmm. and. It's and it, because I have something else going on, I'm not so focused that I get in the way of it, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm, it's a very it's zen, you know. It's a very state. It's a state to be in to just be doing something and splitting your brain like that in order to get everything kind of out of the way to let things happen. But as you I mentioned, bodies wire different. So <laughs> yeah, you mentioned um, we. So we have four kids and. Uh, there was, a, I interviewed uh, Shana Cleveland a, a couple weeks ago, and she said, and her quote was, she has a young child. She said, all the time in the world is too much pressure. And I thought that was, a. I loved that because her, you know, we talked about how when you have all that time, it's hard to create. But if I said to you, okay, I need this in an hour, you know, uh, it'll happen. So um, Heather, where do you, how does do you find that a lot of time is, is too much pressure and you do write better maybe under more of like a deadline? Yeah, I think, I think I, I'm good with deadlines. Um, it kind of helps me organize. Um, maybe too good at them at times, <laughs> no. but it's, yeah, it, it provides this like framework for me. Um, or just it, it maybe is like this timekeeper that I don't have naturally. Um, so yeah, I, but I also have my own like personal deadlines for like I want to be writing like the next three months. Here's you know, here's a goal, you know, so and I always have those and I have those like, um, here I'll show you. Excellent. I love the visual. Whiteboard out. Well, here's one. <laughs> I just cleaned it off because we finished a record, but like I'm oh. always uh oh. And some fell. But I'm holding up, you know, just this well, this is this board, this cork board, and it has a bunch of scraps of paper and you know, like one thing I was connecting with is when you're talking about doing other tasks like (laughs) i i write a lot when i'm on the lawnmower (laughs) okay that's as i can get yeah um so i always kind of keep this this little pad this really tiny notebook in my overall like bib pocket (laughs) but i think it's that like um like you know uh, what you were referring to of just being being occupied just enough to like I'm 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 making the straight lines you know but I'm also thinking about how to finish that chorus <laughs> also is there anything more monotonous than mowing a lawn where you're mm-hmm. literally just going back and forth i mean that's you know what different. it is it is very satisfying. I think I, maybe I'm a Virgo. I don't know. I've been told that we like these things. Uh, but 
yeah, it, I think it's it's monotonous, but you're there's like immediate gratification. Totally. Like you see, you see the result. You see the like, one. Sometimes <laughs> it's the only thing in my life in that day that I I can control. You know, and so I think that also affords me this sort of um, that kind of frees up some mental energy. Let's let me ask you about the hiking because there's a lot of research, and I'm a big runner, but there's a lot of research that shows, and I've actually written about this. Uh, in the Washington Post about five years ago, there's a very clear link between um, moderate aerobic exercise and uh, and and creativity. So here's what they've done. And so you can use this, but they put people in treadmills for 20 minutes at about 60% max heart rate, which is not much more than a moderate walk. And then after those 20 minutes, administer a battery of tests measuring executive function, higher order thinking. And those people always scored higher than people who didn't exercise. There's a chemical in the brain, and this is not snake oil science. It's been in the labs called brain-derived neurotrophic factor that gets only secreted through increased blood flow, which is exercise. So that effect lasts for about 90 minutes post-exercise. And so the ideal is about 30 minutes. And the good news is it's not dose responsive. So 60 minutes isn't twice as good as 30 minutes. And 90% max heart rate isn't any better than 60%. 60%, like I said, is just a moderate walk. So there's loads of research that shows that when you go out, whether it's walking the dog or hiking, things are actually happening. Um, that that is, is, is actually making you is really beneficial to your creativity. As long as you're in a place where it doesn't require executive functions. In other words, if I go walk on the downtown on a street downtown, that's not going to work because I also have to think about not getting hit by a car. <laughs> but if I am practically, right, you're actually using your brain for that stuff. So practically the best places in nature. There's loads of research and I've written about this actually with um adults but also with kids with ADHD because asking kids to sit for an extended amount of time um, kids with ADHD is the exact last thing we should be doing. Those kids need to exercise more than, and adults too, more than anyone. Anyway, that's where that all comes from. So, uh, Heather, we'll start with you. Do you find that when you're on those, when you're moving on those hike on those hikes, mm -hmm. do you get a lot of good ideas? Yeah, that reads correct for me. Um, I think it's like, you know, I've, I've always, uh, been a runner myself and you know for it it helps me manage um mental my mental health mm -hmm. and you know just like get being in touch with my body so i guess like that makes sense to me you know yeah i think also there's like a visual component about being in nature that that's different you know i like i had like i do i run on a treadmill as well you know, and I'm happy to have it every, you know, at the hotel or whatever. Um, but there's something so ma majestic about being in nature and like, you know, having that conversation, walking that trail with it, being present. There's a book called The Friendship uh, by this guy named Adam Sisman. It's about the friendship between Wordsworth and Coleridge, the romantic poets. And they estimate Wordsworth walked 100,000 miles in his life. And he'd walk like 30 miles a day sometimes. And what they found was that Wordsworth, 
preferred rocky terrain, I think, and Coleridge preferred flat terrain. But Wordsworth would go out, he would compose all of his poems in his mind and would not come back until they were ready to go. So I don't know, that was like, that's like a superpower, but he would edit in his, these poems in his mind. So Amy, I mean, I guess I was going to say, right, when you're walking the dog, there's a practical, those ideas are coming to you for a reason, not just because you're outside. There's actually something going on chemical wise in the brain that's helping you become more creative. Yeah. I mean, I've always believed in that. I've always believed, uh, I've always read a lot of things about walking and running and the brain and for kids too, you know, for kids. Yep. Probably have two recess periods at good schools. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mid morning and one afternoon. Um, yeah. I, I've done whole songs on dog walks. <laughs> you've, um, done, you've done. Yeah. <laughs> you've written about your dogs. <laughs> I've written about the dogs and I've written about like relationships on yeah. dog walks where I finished, mm-hmm. you know, did a two hour hike with the dogs and finished a whole song and just kept going over you know, adding to it in my head and just remembering the whole thing and then getting back and, you know, getting it all down. That's happened a couple of times, but um, yeah, I just, I, I mean, I agree. It all reads well. And, you know, like Heather said, a treadmill is good and nature's good. Treadmills are good for certain, certain things for sure. Cause you, you really can forget about mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. I mean, you can't forget about everything cause you don't want to fall, but, <laughs> but oh, yeah. And and nature, you know, a dog walk takes a certain amount of executive function for me because my dogs are always, I'm always having to fi- figure out which ones get along and stuff. But, but um, uh, yeah, yeah, the hiking. And I think you have to resist. I mean, for me, sometimes I'll go on a hike on the road without any animals. I'll have my phone, you know, for safety. But I have to really resist, you know, using my phone while I'm walking, oh, let me text this person or let me do this mm-hmm. because it is it's very true that engaging with what you're doing, like nature and just really having that relationship on that hike that you're on, you know, if you don't have your dogs with you and you're just really alone, it's a whole different mindset and you cannot be free until you sit in that moment for 15 minutes, you know? So I'm always like, I take my phone for safety because I'm on the road and I'm doing like a you know, a four or five hour thing. Right. And I don't want to like end up without any help if I get in trouble, but I'm just, it's like so hard for me to resist working too. You know, while I'm, I just got to make these phone calls, you know, it's perfect time. I've got to sell and I'm in the woods. This is great. You know, right. Yeah. But I've got like, service, you know, I've got service and I'm on a hike. How amazing, but it is, it definitely serves me better creatively to just leave it, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the sorry, Heather, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's maybe it's a good thing. I'm I'm terrible with my phone, so I never know where it is. <laughs> you know, um, that's probably that's probably for best. <laughs> Thank you. I, I mean, I think there's not much we talk about. I mean, independent of the the effect that social media has, I mean, it's isn't a very practical. It's very pra- it's a very practical idea that if you're staring at your phone, you're not aware of your surroundings. You're not noticing those billboards or that so- or that conversation that you might be that you might have. A, there's a great line that you overhear someone say at a bar or in a social setting, and paying attention. I mean, there's I don't, I don't hear you know I don't hear enough about that. Just wow, that's if how are you able to create 
if you're just not paying attention at all to anything around you. Um, Amy, so you mentioned your phone. So I have a very practical question. Is there any organization, I'm assuming you just have these voice memos and all these ideas in your phone. And it distresses me to great end to hear songwriters tell me they have hundreds of voice memos with no sense of organization at all to anything. And I just imagine flipping through going, where is that great idea? So very few of them have any sense of organization. So are they organized at all, those voice memos or no? Yeah, they're pretty organized. I mean, I I used to use a DAT man, you know, like a DAT player with like a little DAT tape. I, it was hard for me to switch over from that because I really loved the sound of those. But um, yeah, I organize them. I mean, what I do is I go through, if I have a barrage of them over time and I haven't done the organization, I go through and part of my writing process is to listen to everything I've done on my voice memos and log it into my lyric book. Mm-hmm. And also comment on each one and title it. And the ones that are really good, like that I really think I can do something with, I email them to myself, you know, and they become MP3s in in my music files. So I, yeah, <laughs> I organize. I'm a, I'm a, I'm pretty OCD. So part of my writing time is spent being OCD in that way. Yeah, it uh, most of the time that's that's a very rare response. I got to be honest. Most of the time, it's just frantically going through all those voice. Where where is that one idea? I had six months ago, and I know it's there somewhere. I go but- through like I like do inventory every you know, yeah, maybe maybe but maybe seasonally, um, and I'll listen listen back to the voice memos, and which is about the only thing I do with my phone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah like log them i really um that resonates with me <laughs> logging them in and you know when when i was doing the writing for this this record um our this record new record um luke uh N- luke norton he's a collaborator of mine and he would send me voice memos you know and he would name them, you know, like a little funny, mm-hmm. like, like, um, boy Orbison or like <laughs> just like swamp creature, just enough to where, you know, or, or I'm sorry, I would, I would take them and I would name them. Um, because he, that he'd send so many and that he, you know, we were in the studio and I pulled up all these like, strangely titled mp3s i'm like here do you remember do you remember sending me this he's like no not at all i'm like oh okay well i have them all and i have them all <laughs> ready to go and logic let's go you know um, that's perfect <laughs> yeah yeah so hmm. yeah that's a good way to do it so i saw the uh with the the board uh heather that that you showed me <laughs> that you showed us uh how linear, and I guess this would be for both of you, but we'll start with Heather. Um, how linear is the process, the songwriting process? I mean, I interviewed um, Daniel Lanois, the producer, and he told me that he does all of his songs on 11 by like 24 art paper. And there's thought bubbles and lines and there's words here, words there, not linear in the least bit. Stuff is all over the place. Um, and that's the way he operates. And it just looks like a, and then he's got to go back and say, okay, what's the order it should be in. So, 
um, with the with the writing of the songs exactly, Heather. I mean, how linear is that process for you? Well, you know, it's a real shame that I decided to take all this down like two weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> but but what I do, I have some pictures I can send you if you want. But I yeah, I have this board and it like I I tack up a song like a title, and when I have enough that that go together, you know, I'm like, okay, it's time to record a record. Um, or like I have different ideas. Um, so I guess the board is organized in its own way. Um, but I'm very uh, much a visual learner. And so mm-hmm. I have to see, I have to look up and be like, okay, okay, here's that campus stuff. And, um, you know, just so I can see like in process what what it is that I'm creating and and when is it an actual collection of songs and um yeah amy where do you fall into that category as far as like within the song itself how linear is that process for you i I wouldn't say it's very linear it's not very linear it's i'm usually working on like four or five songs at a time and they're i think of them as a crossword puzzle kind of and i'm just different things work for different songs and I'm always it's like I go through like a period where these are the songs I'm working on because I kind of have a bandwidth for like that many maybe and not not more than that and I just and I have a lyric book and then logic files and my datman and my phone and it's all sort of all over the place um and sometimes you know, I have a book that's got pieces of the song strewn throughout the book because I've realized because I log my writing books, too, with tabs and post-its to color, like colorize them. So everything that has to do with this one song I'm writing about, I can kind of flip through and be like, that might work in the third verse. Oh, maybe I should switch it to the first. And sometimes I get to a place where I just have so many things that I'll just cut little pieces of paper out and move them around. And figure yeah. out what's the bridge and what's the chorus because I can't do it in a line, right? And then I, yeah, and then I think, you know, I never throw anything away because it's like there's always this a song that's like terrible, but it has one line in it that's good. And I use that for another song because I'll sacrifice a bad song if I can get one line out of it. And I'll just throw the whole song away and use that one line because that's why I was trying to write the song basically because that one line but it ended up fitting into something else so better so it's all to me it's not linear it's like you're working on a crossword puzzle and you're just you're finding different pieces all the time and then all of a sudden you're like all right I have five songs done (laughs) you know and they all kind of and it's not because they're all about the same thing it's just that's how my brain works you know and I think a lot of people I think a lot of people's brains work that way but I just, I don't have a need to finish one song before I start the next. Okay. Well, I mean, I just don't, cause I'm not, there's, I mean, I don't know hardly anybody that has that need, but I just, there are definitely moments when a song's just not going to be done for a while. Cause mm-hmm. you just can't, you, you don't want to do a disservice to the song by finishing it before it's time, before you have the right chord change or, or whatever. And sometimes you just need to work on it more, but in order to work on it, you got to go work on something else first so that that can get out of the way of what you needed to do earlier. 
Because you know what I mean? They get in the way. Of, the songs definitely get in the way of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I've always kind of wanted to ask you is like, how do you discern between what is like what you're writing for like Indigo Girls and what you're writing for Amy Ray Band or um, do you, is it kind of just like a feel? Like, yeah. <laughs> what it is, you know what it's become? It's become like, uh, I mean, it used to be like when I was doing the punk rock thingy or the rock thing, it was more like a singular idea that didn't seem like it could be diluted with t- mm. two really strong personalities. So it was mm. more about like, I'm talking about gender queer stuff or something. And I, and I know I sit in this one place and Emily sits in another at the time or whatever. And so I don't want it to, it's, it's just a singular idea that doesn't, cause when Emily and I are singing together, mm. where it's coloring everything. Right. But now it's like, I'm with the country band and just cause I've been with them for 10 years now I'm hearing them in my head. If I know it's a country, a song for that project, I'm hearing them. I'm hearing Jeff. I know what he's, you know, I don't know what he's going to play, but I, I hear his personality and I feel the pedal steel or whatever. And I, and I think, and then with Emily's songs, I always have heard her when I'm writing Indigo Girl songs. She does not hear me when she's writing songs ever. It's, she'll tell me that. it's so funny because I really hear her. Like I'll hear harmonies and I'll hear like, you know, where things would go and it helps me finish the song. And it, they're like, it's like my muses mm-hmm. are like the people that I collaborate with. And then there'll be songs that I don't know what they are yet. So I put them in a whole other pile. It's the pile of songs that's like growing and it's like to be determined projects, you know, like what are these going to be and mm-hmm. some weird hodgepodge that I haven't discovered yet. So, yeah, I don't know. You you have the same, you're always branching off into different areas. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I've, I have gotten better at multitasking, but it, I think for, you know, if I'm writing for, so I, I play in this punk band um, called deep fog and there's a, that line is very, um, I can see it, you know, um, but it gets, you know, I feel like I have to really listen to the song and, 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 and let it become what it, you know, what it wants to be. Um, and for me, like lyrically, I'm going to, I'm writing, I write differently if I'm writing like something I'm going to be shouting or like, Mm-hmm. and a, a harmony or taking into consideration like keys you know mm-hmm. and, um these are things that i didn't think about for a long time um but yeah i resonate with that and like i hear i hear luke i hear his guitar one of the one of the best things that i've done for my process is this last record luke luke would send me you know these these files these voice memos and he has a whole different way of playing guitar than me and mm-hmm. it's i mean he there's this finger pick style there's there's different there's just like a a pace that's different and and it got me 
I know it kind of like unlocked something for me. And I decided I'm going to write on top of that. I'm going to write the melodies and kind of write a song, you know, given his framework, you know, and it, it, those, those nuances were really exciting for me because I, I kind of hit a wall a bit with um, writing on the guitar. If that makes sense. I kind of go through periods of that. Yeah. It was, it was really, it was a really cool experiment to, to write that, you know, like write on top of someone else's pace or someone else's mm, riff. Yeah. Yeah. But I can see that it, how it would open up another path. Cause I think like when I was, I can't remember which record it was on, but one of my earlier solo records, it might've been something that Greg Griffith had worked with me on. I had never really had anybody sort of help finish a song and he, he helped and we worked a couple of, with a couple other songs, finishing them. And he just brought in, uh, yeah. Chord voicings that I would have never used mm-hmm. changes that I would have never thought of. Um, Jeff does the same thing, really Jeff Fielder for me, like, or Phil cook on this last record. Phil, I had a song that was like a straight up white mountain music, you know, religious song. Mm-hmm. major chords Carter family you know just straight up and I sent it to him and he said oh this is a gospel song and I was like it's gospel but I don't I don't know how to write gospel music like that like what you do Phil mm-hmm. and he said just send me the vocal and um so I sent him the melody and the lyric just to sing it you know and he sent it back with keys keyboard underneath it and it was all these like crazy gospel chords and it was it made it a whole different song completely oh, and I, um, I was just like and so that's it was kind of the opposite of you it was like he wrote over he wrote under mm-hmm. I could not have written probably over that because it would not have I would not have had the capacity creatively to understand how to do that and it's such a trick when people can do that because it it can really open you up to other possibilities. I Mitchell Froom did that for me a long, long time ago. I wrote this song called True Romantic for Indigo Girls. And it was just like a, you know, I don't know, emo sort of song. And the chords weren't that interesting. And he's I'm like, I need help with this, Mitchell. And he sent it back and he had written out the music for me and written different chord changes underneath my melody. And he said, try this. And I recorded myself playing it and sent it back to him. And it just broke the whole song wide open. And so mm-hmm. from that point on, what I started doing was every song I write as just an experiment, mm-hmm. <laughs> I throw different chords underneath it and record myself playing it like different ways, because I'm not so musical that I can just, that that's the first thing that comes to me, the different thing. So I have to try different things underneath my melody to see if I'm missing some potential that's there. And Mitchell showed me that, you know, 20 years ago. And then I've kind of been doing it ever since, but trying to get other people to help me do it for me too. You know, which is just because you don't, I'm, you know, melody and lyrics, I can work on those for a long time, but I know I can't access yeah. I know I'm still learning chord vocabulary and ways, different ways of finger picking, different ways of strumming mm-hmm. that aren't natural to me, you know? Totally. And like, 
yeah, I like I know my what my strengths are. Um, I know what I'm still working on. Um, but for me, like collaboration is the most sacred thing, you know, uh, in, in in creating anything. And I found like with this record, uh, this latest record, the more I let go of control or like what I think, you know, maybe I hear a four, four, you know, maybe I'm, maybe what I present in the studio is this four, four Waylon Jennings, you know, but something's not right. And I don't, I don't, I'm self-taught. And so like, I, there's been a steep learning curve for me. Um, I, I play with a lot of, I don't know, music majors. Um, me too. (laughs) Yeah. No, you mean (laughs) And a lot of times I don't know what chords I'm playing. Um, so it's a, a different language. And I think letting go of, or just letting other people in has been really powerful for me. Um, like we, we, we took a song in the studio that was that four, four way Waylon Jennings, you know, and, um, and just as an experiment, you know, what a lot of the guys I play with play jazz music too. And so, um, they tried it as a waltz and I was just like, my, my, my <laughs> was blown, you know, it's like, wow. Yeah. That's how that, that's how the song, that's the suit the song needs to wear right there. Um, that's great. Yeah. I just love that part of that process, but that for me is like, I really have to trust those people. And it's so sweet when you're in that space and you can do that and you have those, those relationships. Yeah. So you've, you've segued into an amazing quote. I wanted to read you by the novelist Eel Doctorow. He says, writing is like driving at night. You can only see as far as the headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. Mm. I'm going to reread that just so we can let that sink in and I'll send it to you. E.L. Dr. O, writing is like driving at night. You can only see as far as the headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. That's like my favorite quote on writing ever. Um, It's pretty great because it's when I start writing, I think I don't have any and I'm a prose writer, not a songwriter. But when I start writing anything, I feel like I have no idea what the hell I have no right knowing how this is supposed to end up. Um, I just go where it takes me. And I feel like that's much, a much better process for me rather than saying, how am I going to get there? It's let me see where this takes me because as I write, that's a way for me to kind of work things through in my brain to then go off in another direction. That's why I love that quote, because, you know, you can only see as far as the headlights, but, you know, but you can still get to the end. Yeah. Isn't that great? Great quote. I yeah. love that. Great thing to remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Last question. Um, Heather, you talked about Sharon Olds and amazingly, I interviewed the band Joseph last week and one of the women cited Sharon Olds and I know you're a Sharon Olds, which is one of the chances I interviewed two people in the same week and mentioned Sharon Olds, which just doesn't happen very often. So, um, yeah, let's talk about some of you. I think last time you and I talked to us, Flannery O'Connor, I feel like that's what we talked about, but, um, Mm are you do you is poetry kind of what you read the most i mean do you have a preferred genre yeah i it is what i read the most um 
and you know in uh <laughs> the first there's a song um the first song on the latest record i actually i don't know i guess i just was experimenting with being completely transparent about like here are the authors i'm reading you know <laughs> um but you know and, and the 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 lit nerds get it and the others don't and that's fine but uh like yeah, I'm <clears throat> incredibly inspired by poetry and uh, different books. Um, like the some of I quoted or uh, I named Sharon Olds in, in that song, um, and kind of the writers that I was reading at that at that time. Um, Meg Day um, and Ada Lamone, who Hmm. became you know yeah. um Wendell Berry is one of my favorites mm, love Wendell Berry yeah yeah um one of my favorite poets is Lee Young Lee and I hmm. interviewed him a few years ago and he took this is why he's a poet and I'm not by the way because he said that when he woke up this one morning and he he got out of bed, looked at the bed, and he said the outline of he his body and his wife's body in the bed sheets, and that the beauty of the outline of their bodies in the bed sheets after he got out of bed. And I thought, I just see a messy bed. This guy <laughs> sees beauty in the outline of their bodies in the bed sheets, and that's just that to mm -hmm. me was poetry in a nutshell, right? Like taking something like that and noticing the beauty in something that people just don't notice beauty in. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, Amy, how about you? Do you do a lot of does how important is reading to you every day or reading is I read all the time. So I read all the time. I mean, I love I love nonfiction too. Um and I love someone who can write nonfiction in a poetic way, you know. I just read a, a book by Imani Perry called South to America, and it's one of the best books I've ever read. And her style of writing is so poetic for a nonfiction writer, you know? So I find inspiration in that because I'm, I also like topical. I have tried to write topical songs in some way that are not didactic mm -hmm. and consider all points of view and are just about humans, you know, and how we struggle and wrestle with all the different things going on. So a writer like Imani Perry who has a perspective, but is so poetic about it that you forget that she has a perspective and it allows for so many other perspectives to come in. Those are the kind of writers that I can really get down with for nonfiction. I love poetry. Uh, I mean, I read a lot of poetry. I don't even know all the writers. I'll just like, I'll hear a poem on you know Krista Tippett's show or something and I'll like <laughs> I'm being and I'll like Google it and then I'll read for you know I'll read that writer for a while um I love Fra this guy Frank Stanford that um I think Lucinda Williams really talked about him a lot too and I discovered him a long time ago a friend sent me a book of his poetry and he really became an influence um mm -hmm. Jericho Brown uh you mentioned Ada Limone I love her um, I like Natasha, uh, Natasha, is it Thresh Away? 
thread thread away thread away i think so yeah yeah i can't remember how to her last name but i for a while i read her stuff because she was poet she was at emory i think and 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 um thread away there were some a couple of her poems that really struck me um so yeah, I read a lot of poetry. I read a lot of non nonfiction, and I read fiction too. I love Louise er- Erdrich. She's one of my yeah, favorite she's favorite. great. Yeah, I like her. Um, just I like her. I guess her description, powers of description, a lot. Um, I still read books about writing, so I still read <laughs> Anne Lamott a lot. Um, I read. There's a writer named Barbara Brown Taylor who writes about religion a lot. Who's a ordained. I think she's, I can't remember she's Episcopalian or Methodist, but anyway, she's uh, really good at writing about philosophy and religion and stuff. So I like to read her just to get that kind of language, to read language about spirituality that's different and interesting to me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I read all the, I mean, I read like every day, all the time. So, like, where should I start? I'm, I'm, I would well, do bird by bird. bird. Yeah, bird by bird. That's the book. Okay. Um, with you like her. Fr- yeah, you yeah. like her. Traveling okay. Mercies is really good. The Bird by Bird is kind of like her, like the most famous book, but it's also a good portal into okay. everything else that she's written. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one thing she talks about that really was useful to me also was like that idea of writing without that person standing on your shoulder, like your yeah. aunt or your mother or your dad or your brother or sister checking out what you're writing. Cause you're always like, or your friends, cause you're writing, you'll like censor yourself because these people are sitting on your shoulder. She's like, the first thing you write should be like completely uncensored and just no one's ever going to read it. Just mm-hmm. write it, let it flow stream of consciousness all the way, say whatever you want to say. And then you take that and you work from that, you know, obviously. <laughs> and she really, she really work really is great at talking about how you work from that so that you can, you know, be that writer who's kind in your writing and you're not saying like, well, my art's more important than our relationship, you know, or whatever, <laughs> which I really had to learn as a songwriter, <laughs> you know, with my, with my, my, my marriage and my people and my friends, I had to learn like it's, the song is not so important that you mess up your whole relationship to write it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, and other people feel completely opposite of that, but I love the way Anne Lamott handles it. Cause she, she gives you both. You could have both, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to mess up your song to be a kind person. You know, you should be a good enough craftsperson to be able to achieve both things. And that's always my goal, <laughs> you know, be yeah. true to your art, true to yourself, true to your community all at the same time. Yeah. Boom. Boom. And that's it for the latest episode of Songwriters on Process. Don't forget, you can find all of my interviews with over 200 songwriters on my Songwriters on Process website at songwritersonprocess.com, going all the way back to 2010. You can read them, watch them, or listen to them. So until next time, thanks for listening.